and welcome to the latest episode of the HR Means Business podcast. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be able to talk to Perry Timms, somebody I have known for a number of years, uh, a, a key person in the UK HR community. Uh, Perry is the founder and chief energy officer of the consultancy PTHR. Uh, he is a two-time author, two books published on Kogan Page, the same publisher who've published my two books. Um, and he is, uh, we might refer to this in conversation, but in 2022, HR Magazine named him as HR's most influential thinker. So I'm really looking forward to the chat today. Uh, and Perry, um, before I get you to talk, I just want to say that the, the PTHR has just celebrated its 10th anniversary. And I remember 10 years ago, you and I sitting in a bar in Manchester at the end of the CIPD conference, and you were talking about you'd lift your last role and you were looking to start a consultancy that was very different, that would support HR in different ways and would kind of embrace different approaches to work. And you've done it. So welcome to the show, Perry, and tell us a little bit about yourself and the 10 years of PTHR. Thank you, Merv. That's great. Yeah, I, I love those kind of flashbacks. And I, and I mentioned it in our 10 year um, celebration party uh, recently, where uh, I talked about the Connecting HR um, uh, gathering that we had in the disused bed factory in uh, in South London, somewhere, Vauxhall. Um, yes, uh, I think at the time, Merv, I was in the HR world and I had seen some of the things that probably were coming down the line to test us and challenge us. And inside a corporate organisation, you can play with some of those. So you'll know this about the kind of talent development aspirations and you've written about those really nicely. So I'd done some of that. But there was only so much I could do inside one organisation. And I just thought, I, I want to get my hands on something that's a little bit bolder and, and braver and more different. I'd, I'd researched and, and started to really get into things like self-managed, flat, non-hierarchical organisations. And our good friend Gareth Jones uh, was a kind of key antagonist in, in helping me form into those thoughts. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice if I could help companies do that, liberate a little bit, you know, really give people a chance to find out who they were in their work. And that was the idea but I mean I had no idea whether that would be commercially viable or, or whatever but I was I was keen enough and, and I wanted to learn more and I just wanted to see if there were chances to kind of socialize work a bit more um, and, and when you get your first gig you kind of think oh that's great and it might have been a bit of training or something like that and then you start talking about things and people go oh, I'm interested in that could we could we do that so the network comes into play really strongly because people kind of I suppose relate to you in the sort of things you talk about and stand for and lo and behold I started to get some traction on ideas and work with companies sometimes it was about their use of social media tech inside the organization sometimes it was a bit more radical and it was about shifting the design of the organization and it just built from there yeah but 10 years ago I had the little kind of inkling that I, I had a bigger part to play in shifting the world and now it feels like um, that was well founded because the world shifted quite a lot in those 10 years anyway. It certainly has and 10 years from the germ of an idea to being the most influential. Um, Thank you. I mean it, it's you, you've always been somebody that embraces different ways and I suppose if mm. I start at the beginning uh mm. you 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 founded a business but you set yourself up as the chief energy officer not the owner founder yeah, yeah. chief executive what what was the thinking behind that 
Mm. I like the idea that I was renowned for my enthusiasm and, and my sort of almost boundless energy for the possibility. So it felt like it fitted with that. But I was quite discreet about it because it was almost like a bit of a play. And it's like, you've got to be semi-serious about this. Until I did some work with a, an HR team in a, a big-ish retailer. And, and I used to go into those offices and I would spend a day perhaps with the ER team or the recruitment team or the learning development team. And after a while, I said to the HR director there, I said, look, I really like this. I said, because it's quite random and it's emergent. I said, but I, I walk out of it thinking, did, did I add any value there? And she said, look, this is what happens. She said, you lift the levels of energy in those teams visibly for at least a week after you've been in. She said, so that's what you are sort of transferring belief and, and, and experiments. I thought, well, the energy thing really fits then, doesn't it? So that, that kind of stuck. Um, uh, and I guess, interestingly enough, I've kept that thought in my head. And when I got the chance to do that second book, which was The Energised Workplace, yeah. what I'd really seen is that people were flat out tired and energy was a big issue and people weren't tabling it and I thought well I've got the title I might as well try and table it and, and write a book around it and, and and see what we can do to regenerate energy in people so that that bit fits it I think no that's great and I must say it's an excellent book I've read it um, and as part of I suppose recalibrating uh, you've embraced kind of different ways of working different approaches to working um, I mean, obviously, now there's a lot of conversation around things like remote, flexible working, which you were obviously doing a few years ago. There's yeah. conversations around the move to a four day week, which is something that you embraced a, a few years ago. So yeah. um, what was the I suppose the thinking a few years ago to to, to mm. maybe investigate some of these changes, possibly helping HR people who are listening now thinking, I don't know where to start with a change like this mm. in the organization. How do I bring people with me? How do I, yeah. what, what would you say? Yeah, it's a brilliant question because I think we are trying to sort of tabulate a whole load of very conflicting and confusing issues. So if I start with the sort of construct of a team for a while, as an independent, I thought I'm not even sure I trust myself to get enough revenue for me, let alone other people. But you'll know this, Merv, when you write a book, it can create some interest in what you do. And that created more inbound. So I thought I've got to start bringing people in to help me out. And you might remember this in the sort of 2012, 13 days, communities were all the rage. Yeah. And I yeah. thought maybe maybe that's what I would do. I'd have a community of people. And I guess you'd call it an associate model, but it, but it wasn't quite deployable well enough in the spirit of the things I wanted to do. So I, I deliberately brought people into working with me. So the team is now um, 16 of us. There's um, nine people who are regularly working with us on, on the sort of day-to-day -day stuff. And then we've got some experts and other adjacent people we bring in to make up the 16. So with that, I had to start thinking about being true to my spirits of self-managed and non-hierarchical and inclusiveness and, and all that kind of thing to set a framework for that. So you, you have to kind of say, look, I, I might be the owner, but that doesn't mean to say that whatever I say goes. So you have to bring in open, dialogic and, and challengeable ways of setting direction and who gets to work on what. And, and I would say that that is a lovely way of saying to people, you step in where you want to, where you feel you've got both strength and perhaps a learning opportunity, 
but you can't just do it without a system around it that helps you be fair to yourself, fair to your colleagues, all those sort of things. So we work really, really hard on the systems of work, allocation, flow, responsibility, deadlines, measuring it. And I, I would say that one of the things I've seen in HR teams is they're so busy. They've got so much coming at them and piled up. They almost have no idea about what they've got and the systems they can use to tackle that work. So that's one thing I would say is that the system can become a really, really powerful way to hold everything together without people having to be micromanaged and, and overly sort of directed into doing what they're doing. So that principle has kind of held right the way through. And that led to the other things that led to us thinking about remote and flexible operating, because a lot of the people who I was interested in working with wanted smaller, more flexible parts of the week rather than the whole thing. So we were very, very conscious in how we could design the role that they would do with the flow of the work and the demands of clients and all that kind of thing. So we did that very openly and collaboratively. And that helped because there's, I guess, the IKEA effect you're building. You love it, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and the four day, the four day week then, that really, really came to mind when we had the COVID crash, quite literally a crash. We had a lovely quarter lined up and then it just completely disappeared with COVID's lockdown and everybody getting a little bit panicked and withdrawing back into stabilising actions, I think. So, so we said to ourselves as a team, what can we do? And, and one of the things we thought is, well, if people can't commit to what they were before, maybe we need smaller versions of what we do so they can buy just tiny chunks to help them in the circumstances they're in. And we were going at that flat out and it was around about June time. And I actually sort of said to the team in a, in a gathering on screen, I said, I don't know about you, but I'm knackered. I'm really tired, like never before. And I'm not traveling, but I can't get the work to be as smart and sharp as I used to. I said, so why don't we think about taking a break? Like in the week, stop for a day. Um, and they were like, uh, but don't we need more hours on the clock forever, you know, than ever because of rescuing the business? I'm like, not if it's rubbish that we're pulling out. So we started a trial on a four day week. I've read some of the Andrew Barnes stuff from New Zealand. Um, and I wanted the Wednesday and the team said, what about an end of week thing, beginning of week thing? I said, well, you know, what do we reckon? Let's try the Wednesday first and see how we go. And, and within months, people were like, I love this midweek pause. It just suited me. So we kept it. Um, but we needed to measure it as well. We wanted to mm. see, were we getting stacked out in those other days? Were clients going, not on Wednesdays? You must be nuts. Clients were actually apologetic if they intruded on a Wednesday, like, oh, God, I forgot you're not working then. Wow. And that was such a surprise. Yeah. And so we thought, well, let's see, because we don't want to like have massively long Mondays and Tuesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Wednesday feels like you're just catching your breath. We got really sharp again on those processes. We culled meetings. We, we got smarter in how we used intelligent um, information sharing on Slack and using Asana and stuff. Before we knew it, we had nipped and tucked and pruned and shaped things that when we did a little re sort of, I suppose, recircle back on the whole thing in November, we thought, wow, we've actually done more work in less time. <laughs> and so that gave us the conviction to go, stick with it uh, and that's yeah. pretty much what we've done now yeah it's, since then it sounds fab and and it, it clearly works because there's a, mm. yeah, a lot of accolades for the business 
Hmm. and you're highly regarded. And I'm just thinking there will be HR people, hopefully yeah. listening to this conversation, who'll say, hmm. God, that sounds brilliant. I'd love to do that. Hmm. But, you know, I'm in this big corporate. I, hmm. you know, I've... I, I've I've got some latitude and flexibility in what I do mm. in HR, but this is a step too far. How do I begin? You mentioned about measuring it and stuff. I mean, yeah. what advice would you give somebody who's saying, "How do I get started in something like this?" Yeah. So if it if it is a four day week that you're looking at, then absolutely has to be socialised, and everybody has to know that what's being expected is um, not compressed days, not um, uh, a cut in pay, but it's the same amount of pay for the same impact that you have in better use of time. And if you can socialise that and get people to believe in that strongly enough, the next lever to pull on that is then, so what do we get rid of? Because we've got crappy things that take time that we shouldn't be doing, but we end up doing them because habitual, ritual, whatever. And you can come up with a hit list of all the things you want to stop. I mean, meeting time, Merv, for a start, you can yeah. just go, if we shave 20% off every meeting we had internally, we could probably claim a day. But you've got to stick with it. You've got to be um, responsible in how you do it. And also remember that you're not in a vacuum. You've got people who want you at certain times in yeah, the rest yeah. of the business, right? So you can map it and go, when are we in demand for like L&D or recruitment campaigns if there's a regularity to it? And if you find, for example, that on a Tuesday afternoon, bugger all happens, you could go, oi, we could experiment with a shorter Tuesday because we know people aren't knocking on the door and we can manage a, a skeletal service or something like that. So I think you've got to be super sensible about the business that you're in. And it's not just devil may care and stuff in yeah. type thing. Do you know what I mean? But I think you've got to start somewhere. So start with socialising it, see if there's an appetite for it. Start with the process cull, because that's really what it is. But then think, OK, if we can do that with ourselves, what does that mean to the people who rely on us? And then it's got to calibrate to that again. And if you can make those things work, experiment and then see how it goes. OK, Um the word influence appears a lot. So if uh, somebody, there's an HR manager, leader who's thinking, I'm going to try that. Um, mm -hmm. One of the, I suppose, areas they need to influence uh, is not just uh, the workforce. Uh, it's yeah. the leaders. So it, yeah. what I mean, what's your view or I suppose what's your advice for kind of influencing leaders? Because it might be yeah. that, that they need to trial this first themselves to, to see how it can work. Mm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and of course, they'll be thinking maybe well i don't want that because i like being here five days that's what i signed up to and 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 i wouldn't think you'd have to force people to do it but what you could say is if you had time back what would you do with it and they'd say i'd think more i'd learn more i'd do more relationship building it's like Oof. okay so your version of it isn't four days it's four days where you're processing admin meetings and so on, and a day or half a day here and there where you've got that time back to do those things. I can't see any leader going, well, I don't want that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. I think I think you can be sensible about how you trade it. Because, like, make no bones, on some of the days when I'm not working, I've got my books out and people go, that's working. It's like, but it doesn't feel like it and I want to do it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yes. So, so I do think there is an argument to say it doesn't mean you have to stay at home pacing like a caged animal because you're not at work. Do you know what I mean? I think there's yeah, something yeah, yeah. about that. So uh, I'd sort of try and pull the levers that you think are going to work for them to deliver the same kind of outcome. Yeah. Better use of the four days that you are with the other day, more innovation time, more networking time, whatever you want to do. That's another way of compromising it. 
Okay. Um, in terms of bringing people with you on the journey, then that's I suppose the the leaders. Um, you were were fairly early adopters of a more kind of remote, uh, flexible, mm. hybrid, asynchronous way of working. Mm. Um, mm. I, which I understand the asynchronous bit because, as as you know, um, I, I co-author reports and books with Matt Older, and he lives in Edinburgh. I live in London. Mm. Our families mm. are different ages, so we don't actually write at the same time altogether. No. Um, what what how did you find it initially and and what i suppose were the not the pitfalls but i mean if you're looking to i suppose instill much more of this kind of flexible uh, mm. approach um what are the two or three things you would advise people to look for mm. and and really go for first yeah I, I mean i'm hoping the first one will will um, make your heart sing a bit merv because it talks to the digital side that you covered in uh, digital talent which is that you've got to get good with your tools you have to really really understand what tools are there to do right so we've very very deliberately said we don't email each other internally we can forward an email from a client if that's the easiest way to do it however if we want to chat make a decision whatever we will either think can that go on a slack thread and we've been very specific about what our Slack threads are. They map to different areas of our business. It's really logical and easy to understand, even if you're brand new to us. So we use that. Um, we were very deliberate about you know screen time, like Zoom time and so on, because we were aware that it can be draining just to stare at screens and so on. So we were very deliberate about how do we optimise that? We only needed to come together where it was co-creation, co-decision-making, right? So we kept that in mind. So we use Zoom sensibly. And we use things like Mural, the Post-it note type um, board yeah, yeah, that you yeah. can ideate on. And people could pick that up whenever it suited them. We'd start it. We wouldn't have to have a meeting about it. We could start a board. People could put comments on it whenever they wanted to. Then we came together for a short period of time just to review what we had and what the decision we needed to take with that was. Um, and then crucially for the tasks. I mean, this is something that we really try and help clients with. Every task that we are up to, not like just replying to an email saying, here's my bio, but everything that needs some degree of effort, we put it on our Asana project management application. So again, structured very rigidly and sensibly. Anytime we want, we can look at what anybody's up to. Um, we're not looking at it to find out when people are behind and shame them. But if they are, we can ping them a message and say, I see that hasn't moved for a couple of days. Do you need any help or whatever? But we measure it as well. So we know what we're committing to. And if we've got more than we can do, we know that we can say, I've, I've looked at my work and I'm up against it. Can we create something where others can help out or we can shift priorities? So we've socialised the whole mm. sense of work, but using tech cleverly. Now that, if you're remote, is vital because you can't have the side of desk conversation or the little let's pop into a room for 10 minutes and work this out. You can't do it. So those tech platforms have been absolutely vital. And we think now we are probably less distracted from our work because we're remote, but we've built strong social time to learn together, to chat when we need to share things that are going on in our life. Like, you know, the kids are ill or whatever. So it feels like you're in the office but it's less distracting less intrusive now i'd say that is not a second rate version of being in person it's a more intelligent and formalized way of being informal <laughs> that's what i'd say i think i get that i think i get get that so i suppose let me throw a question in um mm. 
given you are a leader in a people business, have you ever mm. suffered from, I think, the current uh, term of popularities? Have you ever suffered from productivity paranoia oh about your goodness. people? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, I, I really love the phrase because I had all sorts of images pop into my head about yeah. panic and, and self-doubt and stuff. Um, I'd say we've destigmatized um, up being up against it and struggling a bit and being out your depth a bit and getting lost in, in stuff and getting stuck in stuff. So to the point that we are very happy to declare, because we know it's not going to be punished, that we don't feel at our best. Um, um, uh, we've even created a few phrases where people say, I just feel momentarily useless <laughs> you know what I mean I'm distracted <laughs> I'm feeling a bit down and ill and so we've actually codified it a little bit and we don't laugh at it in a flippant way but we kind of go yeah. oh I know what you mean by that yeah so I think I mean it's a really interesting phrase I've not really come across before but I think we can get paranoid about whether we're productive or not and yeah. chase our tail and make more work to test whether we are or not it's like you can yeah. feel this and sense this thing it so the, um, uh, the the term yeah. came from uh uh, Microsoft and it was about leaders <sighs> being paranoid that their people who are Whoa. remote are not being productive enough whereas the research showed that the people who are remote feeling they're being much more productive than they are in an office location <laughs> I, so, I love that sort of polarity then yeah yeah um, I'd say we have solved that by being very clear about productivity, meaning impact and relevance. And like I said, the social and the destigmatized version of it. We, we do do stuff like use a product called Clockify, where it tells us where our hours are being spent. And we do use um, very sensible kind of mechanisms for putting value to the work we're doing. And at the minute, I'll give you an example. Actually, we are spending much more time on ourselves, as in working up things we want to do and some research and so on then we are even doing chargeable client work so we're like oh hang on a minute there's a bit of an imbalance there because surely it should be the other way around because that brings in the revenue and the other stuff is potential revenue but we're comfortable with it because we're we're seeing the shift as in it's getting mm. more towards um client work and so on so yeah i i think you have to be really on it and i think you have to be honest about it and i think what we've got is that people feel compelled to share how they are not in a kind of overly like posturing way but just in a sort of it feels like this to me is that what's going on here we've had a quiet week this week because of a half term but we had a massively busy one the other week and everybody went god it's like they almost described it as sort of a bit frenetic and a bit whatever and it's like i guess we're getting quite good at naming the mood which helps you indicate the productivity sort of challenges so yeah i think we just talk it into existence rather than just guess whether we are or not yeah. OK. Um, now, as you have been named in the UK as HR's most influential thinker, uh, you you obviously need to have or should be having influential thoughts. I say oh. that with tongue in cheek. Uh, nice. But no, I, I'd really love to get your take. Um, mm. I suppose over the upcoming year or two, we're yeah, at the time that we are talking in the UK, we're facing cost of living crisis. I know uh, mm -hmm. uh, other parts of the world are as well. There's yep. turmoil, there's there's uncertainty around. Um, mm. In terms of the world of work, um, mm. what would you, I suppose, you know, are there two or three things that you uh, think over the next year or two will uh, kind of materialise, will kind of maybe things will change in a certain way or yeah. how do you see it? 
That's the $64 million question, and you're absolutely right to ask it. And without any pressure of being in that position, I am thinking there is a sort of an obligation <laughs> to justify it somehow, right? Um, but but I, I guess you and I both have had lots of conversations about things at the macro level and the future perspectives uh, for quite some time, right? Yeah. Um, so absolutely, I see that some of the things we've been talking about, productivity and efficiency, are absolutely where we need to focus because everybody's got too much to do. And it's much more complex than it was. So in order to do that, we have to be a lot more acutely aware of how we can recalibrate and re-engineer processes and rituals and so on. So that consciousness, I think, is, is always going to be there. And I think what I see is people spending a lot of time in areas where they're just over capacity. So they haven't got any space at all to do improvements or strategic thinking or so on. And that's just causing a vicious cycle of never getting out of it. Mm. So, so a bit of a prediction, I guess I'd say, is that we've got to name capacity as an issue and tackle it, not just say we're so busy or whatever. We've got to go capacity is our challenge we've got to create some capacity and and socialize it and and aggregate it and i think that then gives you the headspace to then go right now what do we do to stop us keeping falling back into this trap of cycles of busy 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 or we're on top of it for a bit all busy 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 that's not good for anybody so i have been thinking about a couple of things one is the value that we're creating. I think we need to be absolutely brutal about whether the things we're doing in HR are creating value or whether they're tendering a whim or a machine or whatever. So, so get critical about value creation, value mapping, streams, whatever it is, because I think there are things we do that we think create value, but we never test it. And, and if we test it and it doesn't, we ought to stop doing it or do it differently. So it's that. Mm-hmm. And then that's led me to, and in fact, it's very pertinent, Merv, because this year I've come up with a, a new model for HR. I think we've got, we've got to depart from where we are now. And, and most of where we are now is still in three pillars of business partners, centre of excellence, shared service, Ulrich type model, right? I'm seeing four interlocking circles. And, and I'm seeing a big shift in how we arrange people within those. So this is big reveal. I think we need people who look at HR services as products and we have product managers. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we've got to get because they'll look at the value. They'll look at the efficiency and optimization. They've got to build a product that's worth paying for if you had to. Mm-hmm. I then think we've got to have systems designers who say, well, those products don't sit in a vacuum. So what's the systems we need that people access them and use them? And the whole machinery of this organization works too. So OD and everything associated with it. But then I think the two things I'm really, really thinking we need, and we've been talking about them for too long, but we need to stop the roundabout and do it now. Performance and data analysts, absolutely recruit them, uh, create a unit of them and absolutely go mad on that. Because I think there are business areas that aren't as efficient as they should be, but they think they are. And we should show them where they're not. And we should then show the value we add by making them more efficient. And then the other thing is psychologists and science and evidence. We need people who are trained in the art of understand organisational, social, psychological um, practices and that they can use evidence to go to the board to say, you're creating disengagement. That's costing us this much money. You need to change what you do here. Otherwise, we're, we're, we're lost. So that that's part of the kind of new model that I'm thinking. We yeah. absolutely need to not just talk about these roles, bring them in, start them, you know, hire people into them or skill people up to them. 
uh, and that I think will help us get over the line. So I think we need to be much more of that and less of the kind of models we've had for about 25 years. That's my wall. Wow. Um, <laughs> a new model for HR. Uh, I suppose if I, I wrap up the, 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 the first thing I think of listening to you uh, outline that is the fact that we need to reskill. Yeah. Because um, thinking of the way our uh, many HR teams are structured, uh, mm. it probably you know it isn't around those core capabilities and knowledge areas, and so that no. would either bring in expertise or it is that that we need to effectively reskill ourselves to mm. understand you know to be able to embrace uh, more of an approach like that. Are you are you seeing or as, as a final question? Are you seeing organisations? Uh, going about this in terms of kind of you know do, do you see hr teams who are really into kind of reskilling themselves and furthering their knowledge and understanding so a bit like the william gibson quote about the futures here it's just dispersed right i am seeing it in part so in a bank their learning team look at their stuff as products and they're getting great traction on it in another area i'm seeing an obsession with systems design and they're getting traction on it in another area i'm seeing strong psychology and evidence-based input and that but it's not together yet yeah <laughs> so yeah. you're absolutely right there are people reskilling in certain areas and i think what we need is probably some kind of galvanizing coalescing thing that urges people to start to do that where it matters most in their organization now if i'm predicting how long it takes somebody if you're a big global organization i think this is probably nearly a two-year program from end to end but if you're a little bit tidier and more compact you could probably do it in under six months recruit or skill up in psychology and data analytics and, and performance analytics get the product mentality in get the systems designers in buff um so i am making it sound easier than it absolutely is because we've got a lot of work to do as well but i think if yeah. we don't we're never going to get out of this trap wow uh lots to think on there um perry timms chief energy officer of pthr and hr's most influential thinker in the uk for 2022 it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today and um let people know where they can contact you on kind of, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn, what's your preferred mm. channel? So LinkedIn seems to be the sort of the most traction of late. So I'm on there, of course, uh, at Perry Tim's on Twitter. Website is pthr.co.uk. And if you pop me into a YouTube search, you'll see a few little um, talks and stuff on there as well. And Kogan Page for the books, of course, Merv. Of course, of course. Perry, uh, thank you for your time. Uh, some great stuff to think on there. And uh Hopefully we'll chat again and hopefully people will listen to this and contact you. Thank you, Merv. Loved it. Brilliant. Good luck with You're the, rest welcome. of the podcast. Thank you.